Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by The Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Well, if you haven't already done it, turn to Psalm chapter 25. Psalm chapter 25. And I'm going to read it all the way through. But I want you to be thinking about something as I read through. And that is, when a psalm or another chapter in Scripture has 22 verses, um, what is that a clue that might be happening in that psalm? So that's your hint. I'm going to read through and we'll see if we can get that as we go into the uh, lesson in a moment. But it's a psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice and the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. Mm, Great psalm. So, one thing that makes this psalm even more interesting is... It is a poetic masterpiece. All scripture is a masterpiece work of God because the masters worked on the piece, right? Uh, But I just want to point out what what an unbelievable literary masterpiece Psalm 25 is in the Hebrew language because it's got three different types of literary devices. Now, I gave you a hint for the first one. When you see that a chapter in the Bible has 22 verses, what does that remind you of? Yes, he can't wait a second to see if anybody else said it, but he knew it. He was ready to go there. And I appreciate him giving a little pause in case anybody else wanted to answer the question. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. And if you ever want to see what the Hebrew alphabet looks like, uh, go to Psalm 119. Most translations for, uh, you know, give you what those letters look like in Psalm uh, 119. Uh, every one of the first eight verses starts with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, and then 9 through 16 starts with Beth, 17 through 
24, got to get my math right here, it starts with Gimel, Aleph, Beth, Gimel. Lamentations will tell you that same thing. Uh, it'll, it, I think many translations give you those same uh, Hebrew, Hebrew letters. And just to make sure we understand, you know, Hebrew, mostly Old Testament was written in Hebrew with some Aramaic things coming into Daniel uh, and a couple other books just a little bit. Um, because of the time in the Babylonian captivity, but uh, Greek is the language of the New Testament. So the first thing we see about uh, Psalm 25 is that it's an acrostic. That's the word we use to talk about when nearly every verse in the Hebrew begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's an acrostic. So 22 verses, Aleph in the first one, Beth in the second one, Gimel in the third one. Now, I should say there's at least one place during those verses where it's the second word, where it's the second word in that starts with that next letter of the alphabet. But we understand that, don't we? When you're trying to, uh, you know, when you're trying to uh, go through A to Z and you're trying to make something clever and cute as you're saying it, you know, sometimes when you get down to X or something, you know, you gotta, you gotta be a little creative to get that in there like that. So David does that with uh, this too. Um, so those are always cool. But second, Psalm 25 is also in chiastic structure. Take out verse 22, that's the end verse that says, Redeem Israel, O God. But the thoughts of verses 1 and 21, and then 2 and 20, 3 and 19, and so on, all complement each other with a big point in the middle. I was so excited to show you this, I couldn't help but copy for you, and I did. I copied Bob Alden. So that other paper you have there is Bob Alden showing what this looks like uh, for Psalm 25. And so look at that. I mean, we've talked some about how some portions of Scripture have a little bit of chiasmus. Uh, a, where the A point at the beginning is the same as the A point at the end, and then there's a B and a B and maybe a C and a C, and D is the main point. But this one does that through 21 verses of the Psalms in Hebrew. Woo! So you see, uh, I lift up my soul unto them, verse 1, verse 22, 21, I wait for thee. So lifting up and waiting, you know. In verse 2, let not shame, and then verse 20 has let not shame, and it just has it, it corresponds like that as you go all the way through. And when you have a, um, a, verse, a, a passage like that that's chiastic structure, the big point is usually right smack dab in the middle, which in this case, as we'll see as we go through, is verse 11. All the things before and after, the main point in the middle is verse 11 where David says, For your name's sake, O Yahweh, please pardon my iniquity, for it is great. And so... Ooh, what a thing to remember. Now, remember the Psalms were meant to be sung, and so uh, that may not mean as much to you the first time through when somebody brought you to Sabbath school as a Hebrew scholar or whatever, you know, as a Hebrew Sunday school student, Sabbath school student, uh, when they brought you to temple or things like that. But somewhere in there, you were going to learn to appreciate that and look for how, oh, you know, you ramp up to it, you ramp back down away from it, but what we remember is right there in the middle that God forgives sins because for his own name's sake, right? Which is really, really cool. Woo! But there's a third thing he does to help. Third, uh, many of the verses are linked by key words or thoughts. They're linked by key words or thoughts. So, for instance, verse 1 ends with, I lift up. Verse 2 ends with, I trust. There's a parallel thought there. But then some of them are just very explicit, like verses 2 and 3 both speak of shame. So 
Verse 2, let me not be ashamed. And then verse 3, indeed, no one who waits on you will be ashamed. So see, he's linking that just to give it that extra little bit of, and, and, and um, uh, you know, Donnie has probably studied some songwriting and things. There's just different devices here to uh, make the guy remember how to sing it when he's written a hundred songs, you know, uh, but also things like that that are kind of neat. Uh, so teach me occurs in verses four and five, so it kind of ends one. It's in the middle of the next one as well. And that pattern is uh, continues irregularly throughout the psalm. So three different ways David gets real creative with this. You got the acrostic. I, I'm, my mind's blown because if I if I sat down for the rest of this year and tried to do this, I, I couldn't do it. You know, do something like this that's this good with this much meat in it. Go A to Z, and then make it chiastic also, where the first part, I gotta get a letter A for that and a letter Z for the last one that, of course, and then all the way to the middle. And then I also, oh yeah, let me throw one more thing in the mix. Now, not only does that make us think about David's love for music and for poetry and, and for Psalms, but it also makes us think about how the Holy Spirit inspires the scripture, amen? Because uh, that's just neat, that's just really neat. Uh, there's only one or two other places this detailed and elaborate in all of the scriptures. You're looking at one of the most elaborate portions of the Hebrew scripture, which is pretty, pretty cool. God's good, uh, remember appears in both verses six and seven. God's goodness links verses seven and eight. I particularly like that one because in verse seven, he says, forgive me for your goodness sake. And then he opens up in verse eight with good and upright is the Lord. So I need to be forgiven based on your goodness sake. And that's exactly what you are, God. You're the kind of good God who does things for your sake even when I don't deserve it. Uh, so a simple outline as we go through uh, is David petitions the Lord, verses 1 through 7. Then he states the Lord's character and deeds, verses 8 through 10. Again, it's building toward the middle. So right in the middle, David asks God to forgive. And then David states more about God's deeds, verses 12 through 15. We're going to come back to these things. Uh, then he states more petitions to the Lord, so he's ramping it back down. And then he's been speaking mostly as the king of Israel to his Lord. Uh, obviously, any individual could get on that prayer because he wanted to follow the king's example. But then he's like, yeah, do this for all of us, Lord. Redeem Israel, Lord. So as we'll say at the very end, I'll say it now, we'll say it at the very end, you know, Christians oftentimes pray for the peace of Jerusalem based on uh, a psalm that we're going to see and read. And here's another prayer we ought to just throw in there. Lord, pray. we're going to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We're also praying you'd redeem Israel out of all their troubles, which is pretty cool to think about. And, of course, we know the literal understanding of the Scripture brings a future hope for Israel that will bless the world, and we want to get in on that, and uh, we're very excited. So going back through verses 1 through 7, David petitions the Lord, petitions the Lord. Um, it's one of the ways we talk about prayer is offering petitions, specifically when you're asking God to do something. So we hear the word petition, and we think of, oh, I want this to happen. Let me get a bunch of people to sign it. Uh, well, uh, you know, sometimes it takes a whole bunch of people asking for something to get an important figure to act. Uh, but God says, listen, I, you know, <laughs> listen, uh, I can act. And if you ask me to, I'll put it in the ringer. You know, I'll put it through there and I'll, I'll you know, the judge that all the earth will do right. 
we don't understand. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's wait. But David brings his petitions to the Lord. Now he starts out with what we've come to know as a little song, don't we? Have you ever been leading a children's class or something and said, unto thee, O Lord, and it's a chorus, you know, it's, a, it's an echo, right? So we say, unto thee, O Lord, and then it's echoed. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my voice? Do I lift up my voice? And then you get down there and say, what's in verse two? Um, oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Am I the only one that's ever sung that? Y'all ever sung that? Donnie? Never? Uh, I don't know if I know that. Wow. I probably heard it somewhere. Wow. Well, uh, Anyway, but there's, you know, that's right from this. So I guess it's not as famous as I thought it was, but it's in the word of God. And, they, and so, you know, so one thing, again, think about all the, as we go through the Psalms, we see so many times somebody turns that into a little chorus or, or song. And that's another case of it there. Maybe it was just, I was off key. <laughs> well, notice after David states that his trust in the Lord, he launches into eight petitions of the Lord. Four positive ones followed by four negative ones. And I don't mean some are uh, better than others there. I'm just saying that, you know, when you get the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not, we think of that as a negative command. And then a positive command, seek the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Those kind of things, love the Lord your God. So uh, he first gives four negative ones. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph. Let no one be ashamed who trusts you. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously. So sometimes in our prayers, we're just so agitated, we have to start by saying what we don't want to happen. Lord, help that bill not to go through. A lot of babies will suffer if that bill goes through. Lord, help that law that's based on wickedness not to happen. You know, Lord, they want to do... They want to go bomb that place. Help that not to happen. Oh, Lord, there's chatter that somebody wants to blow up the school. Let not the school get blown up, you know, or violence happen there, you know. So sometimes we go right there, you know. Lord, we trust in you. We want to just pour this out before you because, you know, that, that needs to happen. So it goes from the negative ones. Then there's four positive ones, verses 4 and 5. Show me your ways. <laughs> I can't sing it like Elizabeth, but um, there it is right there in verse four. Show me your ways, O Lord, and then teach me your path. Show me, teach me, lead me, guide me. I'll tell you what, if you're the kind of person that prays to God, uh, when you get your heart settled before him and say, Lord, show me, Lord, uh, teach me, Lord, lead me, Lord, teach me some more, because <laughs> it's the same word, teach me both times. I just said, guide me the second time. But notice what at the end of verse five there, uh, after he says, show me, teach me, lead me, teach me more. Um, what does he say at the very last part of verse five that he's willing to do uh, to get to meet with God and learn from God? Wait, I will wait on the Lord. I wish I'd written it down for tonight. I didn't think to do it. Uh, Charles Stanley, uh, uh, Christian headline service that I subscribe to, um, mentioned, uh, that's where I found out about that cheerleader. I don't know if y'all heard that story. Had anybody heard that story yet before? Oh man, so that's a good one for me. If you get an illustration people don't know about and stuff, that's because these are days that people know about everything, don't they? But on that same site, it had 15 of Charles, um, of Charles Stanley's quotes. Uh, that were very famous and, and good. 
And uh, he had one on waiting on the Lord. See if y'all agree with this that Charles Stanley taught. What we wait on shows what we value. Is that a good quote? I do believe he said that. <laughs> this morning I said, I don't think the quote came from Abraham Lincoln, but it's a good quote. But this, I really, I know that Charles Stanley said that. Brother Lamar used to call it delayed gratification. Yeah, yeah, because if we go with instant gratification, uh, we, um, uh, yeah, we become selfish brats for the kingdom, don't we? You know, uh, all the best things require a little waiting. Uh, you know, you're, uh, what's that song, Waiting on a Woman, you know, where the, the fellow's waiting on his wife, and, he, you know, even though it frustrates him some, he realizes, man, uh, you know, mama does right, you know. So uh, I'm waiting on a woman. Uh, so we wait, wait, and sometimes uh, that's the hardest part, you know, waiting, waiting, waiting. And sometimes we act on our own in the flesh because we don't want to wait. And I think all the people in this room have been around walking with the Lord enough to know that uh, when you do that, oftentimes you get a penalty or two, a penalty flag from the Lord thrown on it and uh, get in the penalty box for a while, whatever analogy you want to use. But uh, David says, oh, man, I want to see your, I want you to show me your ways, Lord, to, you to teach me your past, to lead me and teach me more, to guide me. And I'm willing to wait all the day. Uh, so David was a warrior. He knew how to act. But when you read the, the you know, the, Samuel King's Chronicles, and it relates to David in those passages, uh, you'll see, even though he knew he was, he was not afraid to fight, he was not afraid to act on what he believed in, um, but there are times he's like, hmm, seems to me like we ought to go whoop him. What would he do? Let's first go inquire the Lord whether he wants me to be engaged in this fight. Our problem is we get in fights that God never called us to, and we don't wait on the things that he wants us to be passionate about, you know, so we use up all of our spiritual ammunition on the wrong things. So I love David's heart here. We're just getting an insight into his heart through all these Psalms. Anybody want to make a comment or ask a question before we move on from there just about this waiting concept? I can wait for a moment or two. All right. Um, what does David want God to remember in verse 6? Now, the New King James says tender mercies, but let's use the word compassion, I think, for your fill-in-the-blank there. Um, his compassion, and I wrote the word out for you, kased, hased, uh, his steadfast love. Those of you who have been tracking with me on these Sunday nights know that I think that's one of the absolute most key words in all the Scripture. Uh, steadfast love, ESV often translates it. Holman translates it, faithful love. King James is all over the place. And it gives several translations of it in this psalm. So we're going to see it again before the psalm's over, but not with loving kindness like that. So uh, remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your kesed, your faithful love, your grace, your covenant love, you know, where you just decided to love us because you're God, you know, and you've chosen your people, you know. Um, so that's that key word again that comes off so many times in the Psalms. But David's got something he does not want God to remember. What does David want God not to remember from verse 7? <laughs> yeah, the transgression, the sins of his youth. Uh, now here's what you need to know. What word do you think in verse 7 is also kissed? 
Faithful love. There it is. You got it. It's faithful love. Is it both times? Yeah, yeah they just made that decision, right? So we love the King James. I mean, you know, 1611. Thank the Lord for another translation. You know, there was, there was two or three English translations before it. And, of course, the New King James brushes up the language some force. And uh, they found uh, thousands of more ancient manuscripts uh, in the late 1800s, uh, 1900s. Uh, they're still finding them today. And almost all modern translations are based on what we also know from those very early manuscripts that have been found. So, you know, you can trust uh, your English translations. And then when you've, you know, got multiple ones out there, you know, you can compare words and things. But uh, so it is a little uh, interesting that the King James took the same word, though, out of uh, the Hebrew. And you can't tell reading it uh, in the, even in the New King James here, because in verse 6, it's loving kindness. And in verse 7, it's mercy. But now that you know it's the same word, let's use that faithful love that the Holman renders it. Remember, O Lord, verse 6, your tender mercies and your faithful love, for they are from of old. Lord, do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to your faithful love, remember me. So you see how it's another one of those things where he's linking? Man, in the original language, he's linking it, isn't he? Faithful love, faithful love. Uh, remember me because of your faithful love. Remember not my sins because of your faithful love. That just makes it pop, doesn't it, when you think about that? And he does the same thing with the concept of goodness uh, at the end of verse 7 going into verse 8, which is so neat there. So what does David want God to base his mercy on, his faithful love on, that cassette on? It's still in verse 7 there. Uh, what's the very last concept in verse 7? And God, David wants uh, God to base his mercy on. His goodness. God's goodness. You're good. Don't ask God to base his mercy on your goodness. Because <laughs> 1 John 1 9, you got to read, ver when you read verses, you got to meditate on them. 1 John 1 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You got to meditate on verses like that. He doesn't forgive us based on us being faithful. We're not or on our righteousness, we're unrighteous, right? He does it based on himself and a promise he's made to himself and the covenant love that he has going all the way back to his choice of Abraham. By faith, we are uh, children of God and uh, we are in on covenant blessings uh, that we didn't earn, couldn't keep in our own strength and we need to pray the promises of God back to him just like the ancients uh, did. Um, now, this is key. I kind of wish Clark and Patsy were here tonight. Uh, they'll be back. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, uh, she asked a question last week, and sometimes we're reading in the Psalms, and uh, we see things like in Psalm 24, the Psalm just before this. It was also of David, and he goes into, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And then it talks about many different righteous kind of things that people do, right? And we've already seen in this psalm, sometimes David says, Lord, forgive me because I'm blameless. Defeat my enemy because I'm blameless. Well, which is it? Are we blameless or are we sinful? And you really need to look closely at these psalms because both things are happening. Uh, and they don't contradict each other. Uh, you know, what you do is you say, okay, he's doing two things at once. Sometimes he's talking about specific situations where some turkey, some turkey out there, has done something sinful toward him, and he's saying, God, 
this isn't right. I'm a warrior. I could whip them. But I can't just go around whipping people all the time and getting into conflicts at school, work, and, you know, all those things. So sometimes, God, I'm not in the wrong here, but I just need you to take care of this for me. And so some of the Psalms, that's what it means when God's saying, you know, get them because I'm blameless. He's talking about this matter. People miss that in Job also. They get hung up in Job. Job never professes to be sinless. He's saying, I can't think of anything I've done that brought this on. And his friends said, in their simple theology, they said, come on, Job, what'd you do? These things happen because of sin. What'd you do to bring this on? What did your kids do to bring that on? And Job says, I don't think that's what's happening here. God, won't you show up? And Job makes several clear statements about being a sinner. When he claims to be blameless, he's talking about that matter at hand. He's not rejecting the idea that he's a sinner before a holy God. David does the same thing in the Psalms. Plenty of Psalms verses about his knowledge. And, and we got one here. He knows he's a sinner. He knows the only way he's getting anything uh, is by God's grace. And then sometimes uh, he... Uh, is talking about blameless in relationship to a specific man attacking him or something like that. Now, you guys help me out here since you're advanced students. Okay, uh, verses 6 and 7, there is a mini chiasmus or that chiastic structure that I talked about. It's just uh, bookend thoughts with a point in the middle. So remember what chiastic is, is there's, a, there's a, a, a thought that corresponds to the last thought, and then there's a middle thought. And this is a chiasmus within a chiasmus. Because <laughs> David just threw that in. He's that kind of guy, and the Holy Spirit's working through him. So can you, can you see it there in verses 6 and 7? I'll give you a hint. You can tie it together through that word remember that's in there. Yeah. So he starts with, Lord, remember your mercy. Then in the middle is remember not my sins. And then remember me according to your mercy. Do you see it there? Remember your mercy. Remember not my sins. Remember your mercy. According to your mercy, remember me. So isn't that neat? It's kind of a mini one of those there. Just It's delightful in the ears. And, and if you knew the Hebrew, and I, I don't know the Hebrew. You know, I just can study it, you know, because of the tools I received in seminary and stuff. But uh, you can just imagine. It's just delightful. The, the songs that just you never forget when you hear them and that sort of thing. Well, in verses 8 through 10, David states the Lord's character and deeds. So, verse 8, because God is good, what does he do? He instructs, he guides, he teaches sinners who turn to him. Good and upright is the Lord, so he teaches sinners in a way. The humble he guides in justice, the humble he teaches a way. We know about the key to humility to receiving from the Lord. But look at verse 10 again. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Uh, what do you think that word mercy is? Caleb's got it as faithful love in his translation. It's the word again. It's in here again, right? Now, let me show you something really neat. How many people love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Yeah, we all do. Um, so, uh, George, uh, can you read for us Proverbs 3? I think it's 3, Proverbs 3, 3. 3, 3. Because before he gets to trust in the Lord with all your heart. By the way, from Proverbs 3, verse 1, down through about 12 or 13, it's worth memorizing. It's just great stuff. 
But um, look at the thought the, that Solomon, David's son, puts in our minds in Proverbs 3.3. 3. What's it say? The NASB has, Do not let kindness and truth lead you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tower of your heart. Is anybody else there? I wonder what Caleb's translation says. What does your translation say, Caleb? Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tower of your heart. Okay. Uh, anybody have the ESV by any chance tonight? Is that you, Vance? Hang on, I can look it up real quick. Okay. Oh man, we got the we got all hands on deck here. I was a little bit surprised. Were you, you looking in the Holman? It's the CSB. Okay, CSB. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. So isn't that interesting? Even that situation, the Christian Standard Bible didn't use faithful love, would use loyalty. And then Johnny came back with steadfast love. It's our word cassette again. Now the reason I point that out to you is oftentimes in the poetic books that we're in now, it's also true in Proverbs, it was just true in Proverbs 3 3. There are two things that are supposed to drive your thinking tied together. I mentioned it this morning. Um the word emets is the word truth. And in Proverbs 3, 3, Solomon says, picture God's faithful love, his steadfast love, his mercy, his loyalty, his kased. Picture that and God's emets as being around your neck the way a necklace is around your neck. People ought to see Danny Campbell and see faithful love and truth. They ought to see Vance and see faithful love and truth. There's faithful love and truth embodied in a person. He says, let it lead the way when people see you, right? And guess what happens in John chapter 1 when God's on earth? When Jesus shows up as God on earth, right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. What did we behold? We beheld the glory of the Father full of grace and truth. He's thinking about, John's thinking about God's kesed and his emets. Grace and truth put together. Worship in spirit and in truth. Worship in the spirit of faithful love and worship in truth. Uh, I'm, I'm convinced that's happening through there, which is pretty cool. So um, now we've got another key word in uh, verse 10. Uh, what do you think it is? We've got covenant. covenant. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is just chock full of stuff and it's in there. So his mercy and truth, and then to such as keep his covenant. Barit is the word, B-E-R-I-T, barit in the Hebrew. And uh, it is that word for covenant and all the significance of God's covenant with his people. Uh, going back to Abraham, uh, what uh, Moses, you know, the, the, the law they'd adopted with Moses to lead them as the people of faith, and then the Davidic covenant as well. So David uh, may have received the Davidic covenant by this time he may not have but he knows that God's hands on him uh, to lead him so all that verses 1 through 10 is building up to the first center point you know the, the central point in verse 11 where David asked God to forgive right there in the middle because of the great truths about God his character his deeds in verses 8 through 10 David can ask God to forgive his iniquity even though it's great and again just to point it out this is where the entire psalm is pointing so you know, when you're in a, a play, sometimes a soloist will, uh, if you're watching a play, sometimes a soloist will get a, um, a spotlight. A chiastic structure is the way of God spotlighting the truth he wants you to take away. 
God can forgive our sins based on His namesake. Pardon my iniquity for His great. For your namesake, O Lord, verse 11 says, pardon my iniquity for it is great. Mm. So then we step it back down in chiastic structure. We step it back down, verses 12 through 15. David states more about God's deeds. So he's already done this in verses 8 through 10, but now he's going to say more, wrapping up this middle verse of verse 11. Uh, look at how cool verse 14 is. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, for and he will show them his covenant. So if you acknowledge God, if you are in awe and reverence of him, God says, I'll tell you some secrets. <laughs> I'll show them, I'll show you my covenant love, you know, uh, which is pretty neat. So it's foundational, the fear of God, another key word, uh, probably it's yare there. I, I need to check that, but the word for fear is probably yare there. Um, and what can happen because of his covenant love? What can happen to those who fear him? Because of uh, him revealing himself and now, when you think about secrets here, uh, I like to think in terms of Deuteronomy 29, 29 also. Somebody look that up for us. Deuteronomy 29, 29. We've got Highway 29 running through Danville. And Deuteronomy 29, 29 tells us uh, some, a key thing about God and his sovereignty. Donnie, you want to read that for us? Or you... I'm working on it. Okay. <laughs> All right. You got it? Yes, sir. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Amen. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things are for us and our children together. Moses says that just a few chapters before he dies, and the people are going to go into the promised land without him. Some of you might have been here tonight to hear Deuteronomy 29, 29, and reflect on how the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Now, we want to know all his secrets, right? Um, and he, he, he basically doesn't reveal everything to us in the way and the timing that we like, right? So Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things, the things that you are trying to figure out about in your own family and life and just trials and twists and turns and things like that, some of those the Lord won't let us in on the secret until we get to be with him in heaven. Other things, he's made clear to us in his word. And what he says, what Moses said to the people was, as you go into the promised land, there's going to be things you cannot figure out. You can't figure out what's going on. But the revealed things are for us and our children forever. And so even as we have things relating it to Psalm here, hey, it is awesome that one day God's going to make everything secret known, you know. But right now, let's do what he said. Let's wait on him, pray to him, serve him, lead others to him. Uh, and uh, I just love that, putting those things together. Deuteronomy 29, 29, what a great verse. But here, the secret is with uh, those who fear him. You don't know now, you will know one day. The New Testament promises that too. It says, now we know in part, then we'll know fully. Um, pretty cool. He will show them his covenant. Um, now because of that, he introduces a statement. We're going to see more as we go through the Psalms, especially in these chapters in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s. 
And that is uh, verse 13. It says, his descendants, this godly man, this one who chooses God's ways, uh, will inherit the earth, will inherit the earth. And we think about how we see this growing expectation in Israel that one day after this life is over, somehow we'll be on a new earth, a perfect earth with the Lord. They'll inherit the earth. So we're going to get to Psalm 37. It says, man, the wicked are going to perish, but the righteous will inherit the earth. So inherit the earth, inherit the earth. Um, Old Testament saints don't talk a lot about heaven. They don't talk about where saints are now a whole lot, you know. Um, what they do talk about is the final reality that they're anticipatory of, of being in a new body on a new earth. And that's exactly how the whole book ends. Revelation ends with believers in new bodies on a new earth, inheriting the earth and getting to enjoy it, uh, which is pretty neat. Well, bringing it uh, down to the wire here, verses 16 through 21, David states more petitions to the Lord. So just as he did that early in the psalm, he comes back to some prayers. And so from verse 15 to 16, he goes back to petitions. He goes from statements about God that he's just made to talk directly to God again. So, you know, you ought to sometimes just look at these verbs and turn them into prayers for yourself. Turn yourself to me, O Lord. Turn yourself. Have mercy on me. Uh, I'm desolate and afflicted, so I need you, Lord. Uh, the troubles of my heart have enlarged, so bring me out of my distress. Look on my affliction. Look on my pain. Forgive my sins. And then he can't help but get back to this. Consider my enemies. Consider my enemies. They don't love you. Keep my soul from them. Deliver me from them. Verse 20. Keep my soul and deliver me, but let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Um, so enemies should be ashamed, but I shouldn't be ashamed. So I think in verse 21, and I've given you this as a fill in the blank, David had a specific enemy in mind that he's blameless against. And so he again prays that his own integrity and uprightness in the specific matter with that enemy will be vindicated by God who David waits on. So here we've got in Psalm 25, David talking about sins in, or blamelessness in two different ways. On the one hand, he's a sinner who can only be forgiven by God for God's sake, right? Not, not the sinner's sake. On the other hand, he wants to be vindicated based on the fact that he's got an enemy doing stuff to him that's completely unjustified. And that brings this concept of the you know, Psalms together so it's not a contradiction you know, uh, when we think about such things. And then he wraps it up with this hanging chad of a verse, verse 22. It, but it's God, God put it in there on purpose. So he's prayed about himself and it's a model prayer for the citizens of his nation and stuff. But verse 22 just beautifully stands alone saying, Redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. Beautiful prayer to end a beautiful psalm. A timeless thought that does deserve to stand alone as its own verse. So along with pray for the peace of Jerusalem, here you've got pray for the redemption of Israel. Any questions about this text or some of the concepts we've talked about tonight? Any statements anybody wants to make? Alright, well let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you for coming tonight. And Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. 
Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.